You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Romans chapter 2, and today we'll be looking at verses 4 through 29. That's a pretty big chunk. But we ended last week in verse 3. So we have been looking at um, paganism and then the transition to moralism and showing the connection there. And Paul had ended saying that these things are not as they seem for the moralist. And the reason being is because the lie of moralism is that righteousness is the, the sliding scale, right? It's the sliding scale that makes them their own judge. Um, I've said, as I've said, I said it last week, I've said it many other times, many people believe they are good people, right? Um, and when they are asked if they're good enough to go to heaven, they're like, yeah, yeah, I think I, I'll, I'm going to go to heaven, right? They've, they've be, essentially, they've become their own judge. Um, it's a lot like karma. You've heard of karma, right? Do good, good comes back to you. Do bad, you're going to pay. A lot of that happens within this life, but if you do enough bad, you only get bad karma for, I guess, I don't know how long. I don't know much about that karma stuff, but, but it's always do good and good comes back to you, all right? So uh, we're going to start here looking through... Uh, Uh, verses 4 to 8, but we'll start in 3 for context. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? That's where we ended last week. And he goes on to say, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So the, moral, the moralist thinks lightly of the riches, of the kindness, the, the tolerance, and the patience of God if they believe in God at all. Uh, but the word tolerance is delaying here, all right? So God in his kindness and his mercy, he's delaying addressing the sin of the moralist. And patience here is long-suffering. So while God waits uh, to, to see them at their judgment, he's suffering. He's suffering watching them take his patience 
for granted. So because the moralist takes for granted their good life and he views the absence um, of God's judgment as confirmation, he is righteous. So God's, God's delay is not an endorsement. You know what I mean? It's, it's kindness from God that's intended as an opportunity for people to repent. But when the moralist dies and faces judgment, which is righteous, they're going to realize that those years were wasted, Paul says in verse 5. So Paul uh, uh, contrasts, I guess, uh, contrasts the moralist self-serving judgment with the judgment of God, which will be righteous because God doesn't grade on a curve. We should know that. So the wrath those sins warrant is being stored up, he says. The Lord's delaying bringing his wrath, but it's only for a time. Meanwhile, the moralist believes he's avoided wrath simply because he hasn't seen anything bad happen yet, right? But as Paul quotes from Proverbs, the Lord will render a judgment for each man that fully reflects that person's deeds, all right? So we're all storing up something, and and Paul gives the contrast of how believers and unbelievers store up uh, eternity, in verse 7, the believer, which is uh, those who are Christian, they receive eternal life in which they have received uh, through salvation. To the unbeliever, there's wrath and fury that awaits. Verse 9 through 11, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So as, as we know, the Lord renders punishment to unbelievers, right? They receive eternal death. And it's because there is no partiality with God. Partiality comes from these two old Greek words you put together. These two words, to receive and face. And what it means is to judge things on the basis of externals or preconceived notions. All right. There were actually some ancient rabbis that taught that God did show partiality towards the Jew. And they taught that God would judge the Gentiles with one measure and the Jews with another measure. And there's still people that believe this today as well. Um, Many in the more Zion, uh, Zionist people. There are people who believe that we don't have to teach Christ or mention the gospel to a Jew. They are already saved because they were chosen people. Um, of course, that's wrong. You got to have faith in Christ. Uh, they reject Christ, uh, but they nonetheless, that's what they believe. So, <laughs> but the rabbis used to think this too, and it was because of them being set apart in the Old Testament. They, God had chosen them, right? But he, Paul's saying no one's going to escape judgment from God just because Abraham was your father or because you were circumcised, all right? So the Jews thought because of those things and that being chosen by God been, had been given so much from God that they would escape his judgment. And that's not the case. Verse 12 and 13, it says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. 
For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. All right. So we're getting further explanation on um, 7 through 11 that God will judge Jew and Greek alike. All right. So the law is Torah. It's the Jewish law of Moses. since the writings and the prophets and all who have sinned without the law simply means Gentiles. And all who have sinned under the law refers to the Jews at that time. The Jew has the law or had the law. Uh, the Gentile doesn't. And if a man has the law, he'll be judged on that basis. If he doesn't, he'll be judged on that basis. So you had this, the law of Moses will not be brought in to condemn those who sinned with no access to the law of Moses. It will be used only to judge those who had access to it. And this is justice. This is God being just. And there are several explanations of what Paul's saying in verse 13. Um, the hearers uh, and the doers part. Some explain doing and practicing the law as the way to find acceptance with God. Hopefully you understand that's not true. Uh, we've been over that. And Paul says the doers of the law will be justified, but later he's going to be clear. So this is why context is so important that he will say it is faith that justifies. Okay? There's no contradiction in the Bible. The doer of the law is to believe in Jesus Christ. The reason why they're justified by the law is because they believe in God. They've looked to the Messiah, to what it pointed to. And uh, they weren't just uh, hearers, but doers of the law. All right. So the, the Moses urged the Israelites to accept and to believe in the promised Messiah. So faith is required by the law. Faith, as we know, is the sole means of union with Jesus, whose righteousness vindicates us at judgment. So the requirement of the law is fulfilled for us, for Christians. All the law required, I have done in Jesus, all right? So to walk according to the Spirit is to be a doer of the law and to be justified. 14 through 16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus all right so we have this by nature by nature they do what the law requires that means this is a desire that's went within us all right this is something that's not taught and there's different views on this verse some see that this verse is every human being because of a natural outcome of one's conscience right um, then that natural outcome will see the law of God at work in their hearts even though they've never heard it and this is how sinful people may accomplish good things from time to time all right others will say Paul's referring to Gentile Christians only and there's there's val valid arguments for both but um, however if there is natural revelation, as we've seen in chapter 1, in all creation that reveals God, 
And then people do battle with their conscience, right? I think we can all say amen to that. Even, especially when we do something wrong or when we sin. E- even though they don't know God, then the, that first would seem to be true. But in context here, uh, Paul spoke, he's just spoke of justification in verse 13. The doing of the law by the Gentiles in verse 14 is directly linked with that, which speaks of law keeping that involves justification, which would seem to say he's speaking to the Christian Gentile. Because the requirement of the law is fulfilled in them because it's been written on their hearts, right? A little confusing maybe to some, but just want to give those views in there. So Paul goes on to speak of the day that God has set to judge. To some, that's uh, uh, the whole world um, at the end of the end of time, as uh, as a whole, or to others when we just pass from this life. This, according to Paul's gospel, which is the gospel of Christ, that included the judgment to those who rejected it. All right. So men are to be judged through Jesus, he says. If the secrets of men's hearts are to be unfolded and revealed by Jesus, then it's obvious that Jesus must be God because only God knows the uh, secrets of men's hearts. So Paul, now he paints this picture of privileges of the Jewish nation and having the law of God in their scriptures and then how they are actually breaking that law. It starts at 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teaches others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So notice first that Paul, he's talking to the one who is is a Jew. He relies on the law and he boasts in God. Now, this is what is referred to as Jewish nomianism. First, they call themselves Jew, meaning they see themselves as part of the privileged group, right? Who have the right uh, standards and rules and all that. They rely on the law as their means to righteousness. Therefore, they boast in God, meaning they believe God is pleased. So the Jewish, Jewish people were privileged to have that law, the right law. And Paul says in verse 18 that they knew the will of God as revealed in his word. They approved the things that were essential. And Paul means they accepted and practiced the rituals that the Lord used to make Israel distinct from all other nations. So there's the feast, the sacrificial system, dietary laws and things like that. So Israel had the right law. But the question here is, were they successful in keeping it as some had claimed? 
And Paul answers that question by asking all these rhetorical questions that's intended to expose their hypocrisy. So he's got these sweeping descriptions that alert us to his, he's, being, he's skeptic here, he's, his skepticism as, as to their claims. Paul asks if, if, if they believe that, merely, that, that just merely possessing the law has somehow produced these outcomes in them. Right, so he's asking, has the presence of the law among you Jewish people actually produced righteousness in your lives? And he narrows his point through a series of examples. In verse 21, Paul asks, you, you Jew who claims to teach the law to others, are you sure you're keeping it yourself? You who preach that the law forbids stealing, have you stolen? And he asks the same for adultery and idolatry. And it's because Jewish people were renowned for finding ways around their law when it suited their purposes. So Paul's point becomes obvious that the Jewish people, and all people for that matter, they fall short of the rules. We cannot be selective. We cannot be inconsistent. Sometimes that just happens because of lack of knowledge, because of our ignorance, all right? But when you become selective and inconsistent because you know and you're doing it knowingly, it's, it's, it's wrong. So the conclusion is something they can't escape here. That's because in verse 23, Paul says, those who boast in the law are dishonoring the Lord as they break it. So he's changed it here. At the beginning, he changed their boasting from God to boasting in the law, if you pay, pay attention. 17 says, you rely on the law and boast in God, right? 23 says, you who boast in the law dishonor God. He's pointing what they're actually doing. <clears throat> The reason why he says that, he's changing it, is because they have made the law a God, right? They were not seeking to serve God. They were rather serving the rules they set for themselves. It just kind of reminds you a lot of growing up, doesn't it? <laughs> All these do's and the don'ts. Now, there's do's and don'ts, but I was always just, just tell me what I'm supposed to do and what not to do, and then, but you're always focusing on the do's and the don'ts. You're not focusing on the why, really, so much. You're afraid to get in trouble as a kid, but the main goal is if I do all this stuff all the time, then like I, I'll go to heaven, right? <laughs> we, we take the rules, we take the do's and, and the don'ts, and we uphold them. <clears throat> they had turned that into a God, which is idolatry. Okay, I lost my spot. <clears throat> okay. They were, they were not seeking to serve God. They, they were, they were, they'd rather serve the rules that they had set for themselves, the ones that they had all these clauses and stuff too. So to prove his assessment is true and on point here, Paul quotes scripture where God foretold Israel's hypocrisy. And Paul, Paul quotes uh, from Isaiah 52, 5 here, where the prophet described the, the very behavior that was happening then in his day. 
Israel was blaspheming God before the Gentile nations who didn't have the rules. They didn't have the law, but they were blaspheming God before them by their failure to keep and uphold the law. So if God declares that those who fail to keep his law are blasphemers, then what prospect did, th did those Jews have for being justified? Wasn't their eternal future in jeopardy even though they had attempted to keep the law? That's what Paul's saying, 25 through 29. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, which is the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right, so simplistically, having the law won't be an advantage to the one who cannot keep it. <laughs> it does no good. Circumcision is only of value if they are living according to the law that they uphold. And if they are transgressors of the law, then, then they might as well be like a Gentile. They're no better off. Our identity offers no advantage whatsoever unless it's an accurate description of our hearts. So Paul's conclusion is that the outward condition is not the measure of our righteousness. We, we should know this, right? We cannot be judged by how we perform or even which system that we join. The mark of a true follower of God is not something that's made in the flesh. It's a mark on the heart that's made by God, by his spirit. And that's, that's Paul's point to the Jew seeking to follow the law, that, that their approval will not be determined by the letter. Our approval before God will not be determined by our accomplishments under law, not even the, the Mosaic law, okay? That is a religious lie that claims that we obtain righteousness by observing laws and rules and rituals. So notice Paul's transition. He's, he was discussing the nature of a true Jew versus that, uh, the one, uh, one who misuses Jewish law. So he's lining up his arguments against Judaism. He said that Jews couldn't rely on the law for righteousness unless they do the law. And just having the right law is not, is not enough. Circumcision was a sign of a covenant, but possessing a sign does not automatically convey the substance of that covenant. Water baptism, for example, is the sign of the new covenant in Jesus. But going in the water does not save you. It doesn't do anything. Okay, If your heart is not in agreement with Christ's covenant, the new covenant, then the sign is meaningless. So a Jew who trusts in the law 
And trust in their identity as a Jew is missing all of this. The identity that God cares about is the spiritual identity, not physical. It's having a heart that belongs to him, right? to the family of God. It's not a body that belongs to a nation. And it's only gained through faith in Christ. And that's, that's his point here, and which raises the question then, who, what's, a, what's a Jew? Or who's a Jew, right? <laughs> I don't go too far into that, but if you look at that, he says, but a Jew is one inwardly. I mean, that should really show you. Yeah. When somebody starts to speak in the way that I would or will here, just, and I've said it before, they'll say that's anti-Semitic. And it's, no, I'm not being anti-Semitic, but even Jews themselves, uh, a lot of them, and it's even in, uh, in encyclopedias, they're not, it's not a, a race. Um, there, there's, there's a Jew was always a type and shadow of being the body of Christ and being someone with Jesus. We are Jews inwardly. We're Jews when he says this, when he asks that question or makes that statement. But a Jew is one inwardly because circumcision is a matter of the heart. Right. So when, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. I don't want to disrespect a whole group of people, but obviously there's people that, were, hey, we're Jewish, but. Have you ever known of any race that you can convert to besides the Jews? Right? I can't become Asian. I can't become black and so on. You can become a Jew, though. Okay. <laughs> Just making my point. All the people that are always say Israel is still the chosen nation that was the old covenant all of that was types and shadows to point to christ okay so this is he he's first it, it was this jewish nomianism and now he's making that case where it's all judaism he's going to say judaism is no good because judaism is a false religion okay so that's where we will end today any questions comments disagreements <laughs>